You are listening to the Testudo Times Podcast Network. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Testudo Times Podcast. It is another Wednesday. We are back for another wonderful podcast session. I'm Dylan Spogo alongside Sam Ostry. Lauren might make it. We aren't quite sure yet. Uh, if she does show up, it will be when we're talking about football later. So, But before we get to the uh, Maryland getting their first full game appearance since 2016, I think Maryland men's basketball is very relevant right now after that Bahamas trip. Uh, they're sitting with a 5-2 and two record after splitting that Bahamar Hoops tournament all the way in the sun down in the Bahamas. They beat Richmond. Uh, they scored over 80 points in that one. And then they lost to Louisville. So, I mean, there's, there's a lot that we could talk about, about the Louisville, I mean, the, the Richmond game. But, I mean, that Louisville game was something really interesting for Maryland men's basketball because it, it seemed to be one that got away from them in the sense that they had the lead early in the first half. They had the lead late in the second half. But, you know, what are your initial takeaways from that game after watching? Yes, I mean, for the whole weekend as a whole, I mean, just where they are right now, five and two. I don't think they're near as far along as we thought they would be. I mean, they came into the season ranked. Turgeon said it yesterday. He said he thought they would be much further along than they are right now. Maybe they're a little overrated. Maybe it's a bunch of new moving parts that are taking more time than originally anticipated to put everything together. But this this team is struggling right now, and it was evident against Richmond, where they had to really claw back and fight in that game. I mean, they were down big at halftime, and then for much of that early in that second half, and then. They were pretty resilient, and they came back and got it done. But then against Louisville, they just got bullied. I mean, absolutely bullied on the glass. I don't have the rebounding numbers in front of me right now. Oh, no, I do, actually. 51 to 25, and they gave up 17 offensive rebounds. I mean, they were, and I think they only had like one or two offensive rebounds themselves. I mean, they were bullied on the glass. I don't know if it was an effort thing. I don't know if, if Louisville just has that type of toughness, if they're like a Michigan State team where they're just – that that's that's their mantra they're just going to bully people out tough people the other thing about that game was maryland came into this year expecting to have a lot of depth but they really are on like an eight-man rotation and somewhat even a seven-man rotation because if xavier green contributes very little offensively he's a very good defender doesn't contribute anything offensively yeah virtually nothing like virtually nothing i mean you talk it's a very thin rotation the men's and the women's team right now they have such similar things going on but for the men's it's not even with injuries it's just with the expectation that they had so many well-rounded guys coming off the bench and now all of a sudden you got this eight guy rotation as you said and when the starters aren't clicking or one like even if the bench players aren't clicking this offense isn't good enough but and it's weird and and, yeah and Dylan the other thing was specifically against Louisville that they only played like seven really eight guys Mm -hmm. But Louisville went 10 deep, and they're so, they have so much depth. They're subbing in like hockey rotations five at a time. So when in a tournament like that, when they both had um, tough games two days before, and then they're playing Saturday morning, depth really matters. And Louisville just had way more depth. When you look at Maryland's rotation, yeah, we said Xavier Green doesn't contribute a lot offensively. Ian Martinez is capable of creating his own offensively, but it's, it's been up and down this year. Julian Reese has obviously been a pleasant surprise to start the season. Simon Wright has played a little bit. He might get some time tonight against Virginia Tech. We're not sure exactly. Um, Pavlo has played very little. He got a few runs in the the season. But like, can we talk about James Graham for a second? I mean, I was, I was like, Dylan, what's going on with James Graham? I yeah. expect maybe he's not as farther, 
for as long as people want him to be. But I want, I, I think he deserves an opportunity. I think tonight that if some, if it's not going well, I think I don't think James Graham is going to play tonight. I don't think that. Why do I? Why would he? He hasn't played all year, right? So, but it's just it's coming to the point where Maryland is losing against opponents that they probably expected to beat at the beginning of the season. You expected to beat a Louisville team coming to this year. You expected to beat a Richmond team that you barely escaped, and obviously the loss to George Mason is looking worse and worse every day as they continue to lose. I think they've lost like four straight already since beating Maryland. They're four and four or something. So that loss is already looking like it should be thrown in the trash can for Maryland. But it's just – I mean, even the – like, Dylan, even the wins, they were down big and a lot. Like, they barely escaped. There hasn't been one – not one impressive game yet. Not one. Yeah. And for I mean, it was Hofstra. It was Hofstra. They literally oh. should have lost to Hofstra. Barely escaped them. They've down, been down big in all these games. And, like, there hasn't – they haven't put together an impressive performance. The most impressive performance I've seen so far is Richmond in that second half where I'm both – both ends, they were really clicking. But for full, full 40 minutes, they have not been able to do it this year. Yeah, and that second half against Richmond, I mean, Maryland shot, I, I'm reading it now, 65% from the field in the second half, 53% from three. It was the best half that they played in all season. So, and if they don't have that kind of half, they're not even coming away with a win against Richmond. So it's weird how it's taking so much to beat these teams that Maryland expected to not walk over, but they expected to win. I mean, you go into a Richmond matchup with a team and Maryland was already favored going into that game. But they were down nine going into halftime. That's one that they probably should have lost if they didn't come away with a crazy run to end the game. And props to Richmond. I mean, they're, they're pretty good. But they shouldn't be at the level that Maryland's at right now. No, I don't know. No. I'm just, just not feeling that. And you look at the Louisville game. I mean, just inconsistency all over the floor for the Terps. Dante Scott led the scoring. He finished with 14, but it was just 6 of 16 from the field. Fats Russell, 4 of 11 from the field, 11 points. Eric Ayala, not one of his best games of the season. He finished with 9, just 1 for 3 from 3. And once again, this I mean, the depth players, they didn't, they didn't get the job done either. Julian Reese, 1 for 4 from the field in 16 minutes of play, 7 points. And then Xavier Green and Martinez combined for just uh, 5. So, I mean, the death players didn't get it done against Louisville. The starters didn't get it done against Louisville. And as a result, you get your season low. Yeah, like, go back to the rebounding because that was the story of the game. I mean, if they don't add – if Louisville doesn't get as many second-chance opportunities as they get, as they have, then they're not winning that game. But I don't know if it's going to be concern moving forward because Maryland was plus 10 against their opponents coming into that Louisville game. Now they're obviously in the minus category there because they got dominated against Louisville. But – I don't know if it's going to be concerned so much, but they're going to play some really physical, good Big Ten teams, and they start Big Ten play on Sunday against Northwestern. There's going to be some tough matchups. So I don't know how they're going to handle that. If Q needs to just be the, be a better rebounder, I don't know if it's Julian and Q playing on the floor at the same time. Because, because the thing is, like, when I asked Turgeon about that yesterday, and he said, like, Tur- he said he wants that to happen eventually. But he's not. But they're not. He he's more comfortable now than he was at the beginning of the year playing them at the same time. And offensively, he's comfortable with it. But defensively, he still isn't comfortable with them. Got those two guys being on the floor at the same time. But if the, if rebounding is really going to be an issue for them, I don't really see another option because they just cannot give as mu- as much second chance points as they did as they gave up against Louisville. And it's hard to tell what exactly the problem is on the rebounds too. It just seemed every ball was bouncing Louisville's way. And sometimes the ball would hit the floor and one Louisville player would just kind of come out of it. But at the end of the day, 51 to 25, bad luck or not, I mean, you're obviously not going to win. The fact that it was just an eight-point game uh, is 
pretty shocking, honestly. But it's it's what is it with this rebounding? I mean, it's not like Maryland lacks any length. You have Julian Reese, you have Wahab. You finally we talked about all the beginning of the season how they finally have a, a noticeable center that can get the job done at the five. And then Julian Reese is already coming in ex- better than what we expected him to be. But is is it the guards not being able to rebound? Is it more on the forwards, or is it just a collective effort? I mean, I mean, like rebounding is it's, it's a five man thing. Like it's not up to one guy. It's not up to two guys down there. Like five guys need to be able to crash the glass and box out successfully and rebound. So like you can't point pinpoint one guy. I don't think you maybe it was a lack of effort thing a Saturday morning. Who knows? But like I mean, this is a tough team. Like they will fight. They're they're gonna fight for rebounds. And, and if they're challenged on this, I expect them, which I mean, which they were challenged very much. I expect them to respond in a big way on the glass against Virginia Tech and moving forward. But like, I, I don't, I don't know exactly what it was. It's hard to pinpoint one thing when right. it comes to the rebounding. But they certainly need to figure it out. And Virginia Tech is, I believe, plus three margin in rebounding this season. So another good rebounding team coming in. And I was just looking at this before. I mean, James Graham, he's six foot eight. You look at the guys that are coming off Maryland's bench and you start to think and maybe Turgeon's going to maybe think about going towards the height advantage. You have Ian Martinez who's just 6'3", Eric Ayala is just 6'5", and he's, I mean, he's on par with Hakeem Hart at the same height. So who knows if Turgeon will opt to go to a, a taller lineup moving forward, but it's definitely something to look out for. And, and I just mentioned Hakeem Hart's name for the first time, and he had literally polar opposites of how you could perform in two straight games in the Bahamas. Just Talk a little bit about his performance, what you saw from him, what changed from the Richmond game to the Louisville game. People have all before the season were all saying Hakeem Hart is that X factor. He like this team's gonna go as far as Hakeem Hart goes. And I didn't really believe it. I wasn't really buying into it. And I don't know if I still believe it, but if if Hakeem Hart is clicking, I mean this team this team put up 86 points when Hakeem Hart was clicking. He wasn't just clicking. I mean, he had a great, great game against Richmond for 24 points, eight for nine from the field. But if he's if Hakeem Hart is playing very well offensively, because he's become a very willing defender and he usually guards the opposing team's best player and he's done a good job on them. And he and it's a switching defense, so he can really switch on a, a bunch of different guys. But if yeah. Hakeem Hart, if Hakeem Hart is guarding, um, if Hakeem Hart is clicking offensively, this is a whole nother offense and it opens up so much so much for so many different guys. And this guy really is the limit for this offense. But what we saw from Hakeem Hart this weekend was what we've seen a lot of his career. He's capable of having that offensive explosion, but then he often follows it up with a more disappointing offensive performance. And that's gonna and that it's not the worst thing in the world because it's gonna happen when you have a bunch of offensive threats and there's not as many shots. But he needs to continue to stay aggressive, game in and game out, game in and game out for this offense to to go where it's capable of going. Yeah, let me just get out some stats for you right now. So against Richmond, Hakeem Hart, 37 minutes, 8 for 9 from the floor. That's over 88% shooting, and he was 4 for 5 from 3. He ended with 24 points, a season-high 4 steals. He had 3 assists, and he also had 2 rebounds. And then the game against Louisville, it was quite the different picture. 33 minutes on the floor, 1 for 2 shooting. One game after he's hitting 8 of 9 shots, he's shooting 2 shots. He ends with two points. He gets three assists, one steal, whatever. He ends with two points. Obviously, from Hakeem Hart's standpoint, it's probably not good enough. Turgeon said that it was a very physical game and then that Hakeem isn't the most physical player out there. So maybe that impacted him a little. But at the end of the day, I mean, is his floor and his ceiling are just so 
I, they're so wide. The range is unbelievable. It probably is the most range out of anybody on this team. We've that, that is the floor. I would say that's the floor that he hit against Louisville and the, and the peak that he hit against Richmond. It's just, he, I think, you know, you can, you can share the term X factor around how many times you want with like any player, but we see the difference between if he's playing well and if he's not like he, the way he plays just goes with the success of the team. So it's, I don't don't know. It was, I think we're going to see more, definitely more shot attempts for him. Hopefully against Virginia tech. I mean, he's, he's proven that he can be a factor on offense when he's getting his open shots, but I don't know. And, And that's the thing. He's been a streaky shooter the whole time. So it's like, do you look to get looks for him early um, and if he's not hitting them, then you kind of just go away from that. You're not running necessarily sets for him to get three, three bowls, but if he's hitting them, then he can get hot at any time. And, and that, that's great. Going to be great for your team, but it's not just the three point shot. I mean, he's a really long guy. He's become a, um, much better bowl handler than he was coming in as a freshman. So he, he, as long as he remains aggressive, he can score in a variety of ways, especially when most of the attention is containing is on containing fats. Ayala, we saw Louisville, they were guarding Ayala really tightly because he's their leading scorer. And of course, Dante and Q. So like Hakeem Hort is the, out of the top five. He's the fifth guy on that scouting board that people are worried about. So if people are worried about other guys, he needs to remain aggressive and attack the hoop and then look for shots. And the thing that's different from years past with uh, Hakeem Hart is that he is kind of a two-dimensional player now. He used to be more of just a, a guy that can b- provide some kind of scoring spark off the bench in the last two years that he's been with the program. But this year, he's probably one of the team's best defenders. Yeah. He's, he's, a, he's a great defender. He's no, not, I, he, I think he is the team. Yeah, he might. Yeah, he probably is. He's probably the team's best perimeter defender. And last year, you could argue that it was Aaron Wiggins who had that role because of his length in that zone. Uh, just using his long arms to deflect passes. He was really good in that role. And I think Maryland's missing both uh, the best player in college basketball, Darren Morsell, and Aaron Wiggins quite much. But I think Hakeem Hart has really stepped into a nice defensive role, and that's why he's going to get a lot of minutes each night. No matter how little he's shooting offensively, no matter how you know he's not being aggressive, he's going to get a lot of time on the floor because he is that best perimeter defender. And I think that's what's the difference between this year and years prior. And – that's why it's more expected that he's going to contribute on offense more because he is going to get those minutes no matter yeah. what. And then credit to, credit to him. I mean, that's a result of him working on his body a lot. Like you could, when we came into the mm-hmm. season, you could see that he was significantly bigger in, just in terms of his muscle mass and he was taller. And I mean, obviously you can't work on your height, but he did grow and he like, it's a, it's a credit to him because that was for his defensive purposes. He became has become a very much lockdown perimeter defender. He moves his feet incredibly well. Like I said, he's long, he's strong. So, I mean, he has the makings of a good defender and he's proven out this year. But when he's on the floor for that long, you'd like to, you'd like to see him contribute more on a consistent level offensively. All right, so the, the guards struggled for Maryland in that one. Russell with 11, Ayala just nine. And then we just talked about Hakeem Hart ending with just two. So the Guards are obviously going to need to step it up against Virginia Tech. But then looking at the forwards and the center position, you have Wahab and Reese, who didn't necessarily split time. Wahab had seven more minutes. He played 23 to Julian's uh, 16 in that game against Louisville. Who's going to get the bulk of the playing time tonight? Because it feels like a, a rotating circle of which player is going to end up being Turgeon's guy. 
Yeah, I think it depends on the matchups, honestly. And I think against Virginia Tech tonight, a little bit of a bigger team, Wahab's going to play a lot. Yeah. The thing about Wahab is he's struggled to pass out of the post. I mean, they're feeding him. That half-court offense, a lot of it, a lot of the time, it's really like a four-out, one-in, where they're looking to feed Wahab in the post. And, like, sometimes he – I mean, he has a very nice touch. He has good footwork. Sometimes he fades away from the basket, though, and he, and he doesn't like to pass out of – that post so that's kind of creates struggles for Maryland offensively especially when the other teams are defending him I mean for are doubling him and even against Louisville we saw him miss some like bunnies some shots that he's made earlier this year so if he's struggling to make those shots and, and get two points on post-ups or at least free throws on post-ups consistently then I don't know if that four out one end is really going to work and Julian Reese is like he's he's probably been the highlight of the season for Maryland and Maryland fans because they really have something in him on both ends of the floor. He can, he can serve as a rim projector, but also move his feet out there. He can shoot a little bit. He can knock down threes, um, good rim runner, finisher, all of that. So they really have something. He's also a freshman and he's not, and he's coming off the bench. So he's going to have days against Louisville where he has, I forget exactly how many points he has, but he didn't have a monster performance. And even though he played a decent amount of minutes, so that's going to happen. So I still think Q, I mean, they're going to, each play a lot like Julian's the best player I think off the bench and I think it's it's good for the offense to maybe speed up a little bit when Julian's on the floor instead of Q so I mean the, the Q is going to be the starter he's going to remain the starter and what I want to see is I want to see them go big eventually I mean Turgeon like I said said earlier Turgeon said he's not ready mostly because it's not because of offense because Julian can't stretch the floor as a stretch for but it's mostly defense he's not comfortable with Julian guarding opposing teams fours out there so, I mean, I want to see it eventually, especially against when they start playing these bigger uh, Big Ten opponents. Yeah, I don't know if it's – I don't know if it's time to start playing them together. I think there's so many different factors that go into it. As much as, like, we would love to see them play together for an extensive period of time against a, a tall team like Virginia Tech, I, who knows. But going back to Q, there was one play against Louisville where he really surprised me. He was – he had the ball at the top of the key. And he just – he saw he had room, and he just accelerated to the basket. It was probably the fastest play that we've seen from him all season. And, and he got the layup. And then I was like, I, I didn't know where that came from. I haven't – we haven't seen that all season. And it's just – it's kind of like he has his speed hidden away somewhere. And, I, and there are times when you said it, I mean, he's just fading away. He's not using – he's a big guy. He's not using his physicality most of the times. And he, I, he's not a one-dimensional player. That's not what I want to make it out to be. But it seems that too often he is in the post or he's down low. And if the pass isn't there, he's just going to tr- do his thing and shoot. There doesn't seem to be an alternative option to, like, his decision-making. It's either he's getting double teamed and he's passing or he's shooting. And I and think – yeah. yeah, and he struggles to pass out of the double team. That's the problem. So, like, earlier in the year, he was really dominant in that post. I mean, some smaller guys he was going up against. But he was scoring a, a ton when he was getting that ball in the post on that low block. But then doubles, doubles started to come, and he would either force something up or he was really struggled to pass out of the double team and result in a turnover, a poor pass, and just a bad offensive possession. So, I mean, either you need to score one-on-one down there, and if they're not scoring one-on-one down there, I think Turgeon was talking about that after the game. Like, they need to score. When, when they have a one-on-one matchup, Hugh needs to score. Yeah. Or else, like, there's really no point of him being on the floor. But really if they're feeding him, and maybe these post passes aren't great, but he needs to do something when he has the ball in the low block, and he, he needs to score. There seems to just be it, – it just seems to be a lack of creativity. I don't know. It just seems like the scouting report is so easy to follow 
It's because you know exactly what you're getting with Q. You can double team him and he's going to kick it out or you can force a turnover or he's going right up for the shot. And, you, and the guy who's defending him knows exactly what's coming. It's really easy yeah. to prepare for a game against Maryland, it seems like. And obviously that's never a good thing if you're the Terps. And, they just, you, I mean, you said, you said creativity. Like, it, it is creativity. There's been a lack of creativity for a couple seasons now offensively and last year was excusable because maybe they didn't have the pieces but this team has the pieces and they really need to figure out their offensive identity which they've struggled to do I mean against in that comeback against Richmond especially in that second half they were playing with a ton of pace a lot of it was because they were playing they kind of extended their defense were pressing a little bit create some turnovers but Fats was Fats is a really fast guard and he loves to play in transition and create for other guys or go get his own in transition so he's not really a half court type offense type of guy so, like, they need to center it around that when Fats is out in transition and Julian can serve as a good rim runner, too, when he's on the floor. But when they slow it down, they really just need to have some sort of creativity offensively that, that's, that's op- making guys more of a threat, especially Dante Scott, too, who's had some up-and-down games. But, like, he was supposed to be the guy this year. I thought he was the best player, best player and could have been the best scorer on this team. And he's had some up-and-down games, and he's certainly capable of it. But the offense needs to be catered more towards – him and these other scores. There seems to be just a conflicting identity on this Maryland offense. You either have, you're working in slow to cue and you're going to a more traditional big man offense, which Maryland basically begged for when it was rolling with Galen Smith last year and they were getting ceaselessly inside the paint. It's been, Maryland fans were begging for a, a capable center. They got it. They got cued as Wahab. And he has been capable, but at the same time, you add a guy like Fats Russell and you said that his game is built on speed. Yeah, it is. He's one of the fastest players that I've ever seen. But there are times when his speed is conflicting with Maryland's need to go to their traditional big man down low. And it's creating just this mishmash of possessions where you don't know what's coming from Maryland, but you seem to have just a list of one to three things that they're going to do on offense every single time. And I think that's, at the end of the day, I think that's what's hurting them because there are times where Russell is using his speed and getting into the paint, but there's just so many people there because Q is going to hang around the paint because he's not a perimeter player in the slightest. The most he's going to do is set a pick and then roll. I don't know. It's just yeah, – and, and, and look, like, we're not going to sit here and act like we're, like, college basketball coaches and we know more than anyone anyone on that coaching staff or detergent, but there are layers to the offense. I mean, you can be a team that likes to get out of transition, give it to fast, let him create and transition because – He's your point guard, and that's what he likes to do. And then it, once you get into more half-court sets, be a team that has that plays through that traditional center type in Q. So, I mean, there are layers to the offense where you can incorporate both of those styles into. And Maryland has not done anything close to that so far this season. Yeah, so Maryland tonight, obviously, in about four hours and five minutes, we will have tip-off between Maryland and Virginia Tech in College Park. We will all be there. Both teams are 5-2. and two. Uh, Virginia Tech had two close games against then number nine Memphis and then number 25 Xavier. I think they lost to Xavier by one. So they've had a lot of tough games. They've been playing a lot of teams close. They're receiving votes in the AP poll. AP poll. Is this a game that I think the spread is minus one and a half in favor of Maryland? And I actually expected them to be underdogs. I just don't think that they match up really well against this Virginia Tech team. I think they are very similar to a a kind of a weird mix of Louisville and Richmond where they have height, but they also have really good depth scoring. So mm-hmm. it's, I, I think it's, 
is the spread surprising at all? Is it kind of where you expected it to be? Yeah, it's it's about it's about where I expected it to be, just because I think it's an even matchup. Um, I think they were paired together for a reason. Similar expectations coming to the year, even though Melbourne probably was supposed to be better. But you know, I mean, it's it's an even right now as the team stand. I was it, I thought it was gonna be around to pick them. Maryland was favored slightly, probably because they're at home. It's the Big Ten ACC challenge. Maryland lost this challenge last year to Clemson. That was on the road. I mean, you they were they were a former ACC school. You always want to beat. You always want to be an ACC team when when you leave the ACC and go to the Big Ten. So I mean, I don't know. I think it's going to be a very tight game. I do expect it to be a good, great atmosphere, and we haven't seen great atmospheres at Xfinity Center so far this year, which is just another note. Was nothing to do with the team, maybe maybe more so the fans, but there haven't been great atmospheres at Xfinity Center this year, just in terms of sold out crowds, and they haven't played the best opponents since early on in the year. But tonight. If they're on England bias, they're giving out these awesome yeah. jerseys. Hopefully we can get some. But <laughs> I, I think it's, I think it's going to be a great atmosphere, and I think that's going to contribute to it. And Maryland, when they have those their fan support behind them, they're great at home. And so I think Maryland's going to win, but I think it's going to be a tight game. Yeah, I, I feel like I know a lot of people that are getting there like at 5, 5.15. It's gonna, I think it's going to be finally a packed crowd tonight. And, yep. I, and I, heard, I heard a rumor. I haven't been there, so rumors. I can't oh, confirm it. Bill. I did hear a rumor that, like, it was like I got text like 45 minutes ago that there's already people outside Xfinity Center My waiting in line. Well, they really want to that. They can't wait for the replica Len Bias jersey. Yeah. I, I, it's the, that's the best giveaway that they've done in years by now. Far. By brilliant far. Brilliant promotion, brilliant promotion brilliant. by the marketing team over there. Yeah, they're, they're always brilliant over there. So it's probably going to be a packed crowd tonight. I'm, I'm assuming it's, you, you just have to assume because it's a good night for a giveaway night. But, if Maryland loses, so if they win, it's considered a good win. A win that is much needed at home for Maryland. They need to, they really need to go to six and three if they want to stop falling. And it's not like they have an easy schedule ahead. They have Northwestern coming, who's not as bad as people think. And they have number 14, Florida and Brooklyn. But, so lucky for Maryland, not only five total games in December. And then I think they play in late December, Loyola and Brown near New Year's. But just looking at this game, with the with a pretty tough schedule ahead, is you know what's the reaction if Maryland loses this game? Is there kind of just like a just a sigh and move on, or is is this going to stick with Maryland for a long time if they lose this one? You know, you like you hate to react to one game in like a 24, 25 game season, especially it's very early on. Like this team is going to figure out they're only going to get better and figure out their identity moving forward. Like, if they lose this game, I mean, this team's going to struggle to make the tournament. I mean, they just are. Like, this – Turgeon said that this was the toughest non-conference schedule he's ever had. And I don't even think he expected it to be near this tough. I mean, Virginia Tech's a good team. We saw Louisville. I don't think people expected them to be that good. They lost to them. They played a bunch of A-10 schools. And they, this year's A-10 is as good as it's been in a long time. Um, and then Florida – Certainly no one expected Florida coming into the year to have the start they're having. So they'll see them not this Sunday, but next Sunday. So that'll be a tough matchup. And then, like, Virginia Tech's a middle-of-the-pack Big Ten team. Like, if they were in the Big Ten, they would be a middle-of-the-pack Big Ten team, maybe even towards the bottom. Like, so they're going to really struggle against the Big Ten if they can't take take care of Virginia Tech. Like, I think they were expected to win this game, but they've just been struggling. So uh, I'm not sure people think they will, and that's why the line is what it is. But, like, this team is going to struggle to make the tournament if they can't beat a team like Virginia Tech. And then that's – struggling to make the tournament is something no one 
ever thought we would be saying we two weeks yeah. ago when this team was ranked. Yeah, not even close. I mean, nobody expected it to be this much of a struggle early in the season. You expect to come out of the first five games that they played with five convincing wins, just as a strong Maryland teams have done in the past with their, you know, whatever, 7-0, 8-0 home records to start the season before Big Ten play starts. And then the real challenge was supposed to come in the Bahamas, and it did come. But it was just – it just seemed to be another challenge added to the list of what Maryland already endured. And now you have another challenge with Virginia Tech coming in, and it's hard for me – it's like it's like me comparing it to when Maryland was playing – Maryland football is playing a ranked team. You just expect them to give up 30 points. Why? Because that's what they've shown you in games past. It's the same thing with Maryland men's basketball. <laughs> If, if, if Maryland men's basketball is being compared to Maryland football, they're, they're probably not, <laughs> I'm, not off to a great I'm start. In that regard, it's, it's <laughs> something where, like, what have you shown me lately, and do I believe that you can change? And at this point, I don't believe right now, in the near future, in the next two or three games, that Maryland basketball is going to suddenly transform into that top 25 team that everybody thought they were going to be. It's hard to envision it just because we've been waiting for that breakout game for the first seven games of the season, and it hasn't come yet. It has not come. There has not been a f- maybe maybe against Richmond in that second half. That was the half where you're like, okay, this is what this team can do. But even then, it wasn't like, wow, they're, they're blowing the roof off. They're absolutely killing it. No, every game has been an absolute struggle, and they have yet to show that they can be a top 25 team, in my opinion. And I think right now it's hard to believe that they would show something else against Virginia Tech. Yeah. If that makes sense. No, it does. And then, like, I think I'm a little more optimistic just because I believe in the talent that this team has. I think this team is really – they may not have the depth necessarily, but their top seven guys are, like, legitimately talented college basketball players, especially that can compete for a Big Ten title. And I thought that coming into the year, which is why maybe I overrated them, maybe a lot of people overrated them. Well, they did because they had them 21, those are around 20 coming into the year. But I still think the talent is good enough to compete with any team in this country. Like I really, I really do, and I and but they have the potential, and potential is only so much unless you do anything with it, and which they haven't so far. But I really think, in terms of their shooting, their scoring, their just their offense as a whole, I think they they will figure it out. Just because they should, because based on the talent they have, it's a very talented roster, and their their top seven is is it's as talented as like I'm not gonna say is like. It's not even close to like Purdue or Michigan, but like besides those two teams in the Big Ten, like their top seven is that talented. And yeah, Dante Scott might be struggling, Eric Ayala may be struggling from three, but we've seen what they're capable of, and then the potential that we know they have. So that's why I think uh, that's why that's why I'm more optimistic than most at the moment. Yeah. So I think for me, I think I need to see just one game, just one full forty-minute effort of really solid basketball that shows the fans and shows everybody what this team can be on a consistent basis. But the thing is, we just haven't seen that yet. It's hard. We can, you can talk about everyone on paper and everyone performing well, sure, but once they hit the court, every game has been a struggle so far, except maybe the Quinnipiac game all the way at the beginning of the season. But that game, as we know very well, is thrown out the window. Is now they're 1-1 one one in the last two. So I don't know. I just need like if it comes down against Virginia Tech, I will be swayed. Sure, if they have a f- full forty minutes of solid basketball and come away with a win against Virginia Tech, yeah, I might can be be convinced that they can slowly work their way back up into receiving votes and maybe even the AP poll. But until we see that game, I won't believe it. 
Yeah, and uh, so are you saying Virginia Tech's going to win tonight, though? <laughs> I'm saying that, yeah, I'm saying I won't believe until I see it for Maryland basketball. And if they keep, if they played like they did against Louisville, or even if they did against Richmond, against a better team like Virginia Tech, yeah, they'll probably lose. Um, I mean, I think Maryland's going to win. I think it's going to be a tight one. I mean, Maryland hasn't had a normal game. All their games have come down the last couple minutes this season. Yeah. I think, I mean, just to throw out a score prediction, I think Maryland's going to win 72 to 68. Yeah, I think that's fair. I, 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 I do want to lean towards Maryland tonight. I think, I don't know if this is going to be the game where they break out, but I think that with the, the bigger crowd coming in and just a chance to be back at home, I'll, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt in this one. I will say 68 to 64, Maryland. I think it's wow. going to be, I don't think, the, I don't think the offense is going to be fixed. I don't think it's going to be close to fixed. So I think under 70 is a, is a lock. Yeah. But, but like <laughs> last thing before we move on to football, like, yeah. Fixed is like, yeah, no, I agree. The lack of creativity stop still probably going to be there. But we saw them put up 86 points against Richmond. Mm -hmm. And then the following game, they put up in the low 60s. So, like, we know that they're capable of doing that when they play with a lot of pace. They shot the ball from three very well, which I still believe they're capable of. So, like, it's not, like, that crazy of a number. Like, if it's the offense is fixed, but I, I don't – like, I just think they're capable of, of having those 70 – in having games in the 70s and when they really cl are clicking in the 80s. Yeah, I think you're right. So I think that's enough Maryland men's basketball for now. I think we just hit like the 30-minute mark of Maryland men's basketball. So that's pretty good. Lots going on with them. Yeah, so we'll, we'll be back with uh, all the updates from the – it'll be the Northwestern game and the um, wh wh Virginia Tech. I can't believe I just forgot that. So, so we'll have updates next week for them. But then we look at Maryland football. We decided to go uh, the better team for, for second, obviously. So Maryland football, they're off to their first bowl game since 2016 after taking down Rutgers in the final game of the season. They won in Piscataway 40-16. to Maryland finished with an even 6-6 six six record. It's best in the last five years, a 3-6 and six conference record. It may not have been pretty, but, Sam, they finally got there. They finally got that sixth win. They finally climbed over the hump, and – Mike, Mike Loxley is leading this team to a bowl game. Yeah, um, I mean, the week they've had, you forgot something good happened in Maryland football, which we'll get to in a little bit. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's the next step. Like, that's exactly what he said after. Like, it, it's the next step in rebuilding a program. They hadn't gone since 2016. This is Loxley's third year. And like I, I said last on last week's podcast, like, People may have been frustrated when they're getting blown out by these top 10, top 20 teams in the country, but that's not where this program is. But this, what you can see clearly is they they beat every team this year they were supposed to beat, and they lost and sometimes got pummeled by the teams that they weren't supposed to beat this year. And those are the best, those are the top 10, 20 teams in the country, which they are not one of them. So like this is progress. This is moving, this is moving forward as a program. So I mean, you can only be encouraged by by what they did this year and and you hope, and Maryland fans hope, obviously, that they build on it from here. So six Maryland players also got named today. Big honorable all, uh, honorable mention, all Big Ten selections. Offensive linemen, Spencer Anderson, Jalen Duncan, and then wide receivers, Dante Demas Jr., Rakim Jarrett, and Chigazin McConquo and uh, Talita Gavello. They all got honorable Big Ten mentions. So a couple of accolades, but Maryland did get its bowl game. And the price was a few transfers that have suddenly left the program. And that has been the news ever since Maryland uh, has been coming off of that celebration. Really notable names 
really notable names leaving the program via the transfer portal. You got running back Penny Boone, who showed some flashes this year as a big back. Former five-star linebacker Terrence Lewis, who did not play one single snap for Maryland in his time with the program. He is in the transfer portal. Fellow linebacker Brandon Jennings, I believe he was a former four-star, if I, if I remember that correctly. He is also in the transfer portal after recording 23 tackles this season after coming off an ankle injury halfway through the year. And Dehuan McDougal, the wide receiver, was – I. I mean, the program has its best record in five years. It, it's going to a bowl game. It gets to extend its season, something that was not definitely not a lock to happen uh, in going into the final game. With all these transfers expected at all, I feel like this would have been something that would have happened if they didn't get that win against Rutgers, but it happened anyway. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, like, I was surprised, honestly, like when we saw all these names. I mean, these are big-time guys. These were two of the top three recruits of that class that they had. Um, so, I mean, this, this was a big time. This was a big time, big time loss for them. Like, I don't think like, it's going to be hard for them to recover, especially that defense, especially that linebacker spot. We saw them struggle against the run a lot this year. Could this contribute to that even more? I mean, it, I'm, I, I'm sure it will, actually. And the recruiting class that are coming in, uh, they got, they're not as highly touted as maybe – as maybe as they've had in, in the last couple of years in Loxley's first few years. So it was really surprising because Brandon Jennings, I know dealt with an injury um, for a lot of the year. And so like, I don't, I don't know, like I'm not, I can't pinpoint what, what went wrong there or if there's any animosity with the program that they have. And maybe there's not, maybe they're both Florida guys, maybe coming up to Maryland, the cold weather this time of year, maybe it, it, it didn't sit, sit well with them. Who knows what it is. But it's it, they're certainly big losses for the program. Yeah, at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter what it is. I mean, they're in the transfer portal now, and it's it is what it is for the team. But all of a sudden, two of the best linebackers, the young linebackers, the future of the defense of this team, all of a sudden have departed. So, but let's go over that Maryland win. I mean, you got the transfers, obviously surprising, but at the end of the day, Maryland did get its sixth win for the first time in five years. They won on the road. Same idea as 2016. They did the same thing to Rutgers to capture that sixth win to eventually go to a bowl game. I believe they played Boston College in that one. Uh, they lost. But just in this game against Rutgers, Maryland scored 13 in the opening quarter. And then they gave uh, that, that block extra point, which made it 13-2. to two. It was already kind of a hectic game. And I remember we were transferring from basketball to, to go watch the football games. So it, yeah. it was kind of crazy early on. Uh, Maryland scored seven in the second quarter to take a 20-2 lead into halftime. And Rutgers, it was, the game was pretty much over from there. Rutgers added 14 points in the second half, but two touchdowns from redshirt senior running back Tayon Fleet-Davis. But a really, I don't know if you were in the, the pregame, the, I mean the postgame interviews, but he had, he had a really good one at the end. I think that was one of the first times we spoke to Fleet this year, and he was, uh, he was very uh, animated. And he, he seems like a fun guy to talk to. So yeah, I remember earlier this year after after a big game he had, he he definitely he definitely was was a great interview. Yeah, and so he sealed the deal in the fourth quarter with two touchdowns. Let's talk about Talia Tagovailoa, three hundred twelve passing yards, four total touchdowns from scrimmage. What did you see from him in that Rutgers game? I feel like we had a flashback to the first four games of the season when he was seemingly unstoppable. Yeah, he was great, and the entire offense was completely dominant over Rutgers. The defense played really well, too, and they deserved their shine. But that offense was 
reminiscent of some of those early season games um, against just some maybe like Indiana even it was an early season game, but against some of those like Kent State teams. I mean, Celia was really great um, against not a great Rutgers team. And like we've seen all year from him against not great defenses, he really shines and he puts up those 300 plus yard performances, those two, three touchdowns, obviously at four this week. Um, but, you know, he really, he really shines against those defenses and against those middle of the pack to bottom Big Ten teams. But it's, it's the struggle. He struggles when he's up against the great Big Ten teams like an Iowa, like a Michigan State who have good defense, Michigan, obviously, Ohio State who have good defenses. And it's really struggle. It's a struggle to move the ball. So you want to see him. The next step for him is to dominate or at least be consistent against great Big Ten defenses and not just the poor ones. Yeah, what a difference it made for him to play. Because it, it felt like for seven, eight straight weeks after Maryland started 4-0 that it just played difficult defense after difficult defense. And finally you got like a, a pretty bad defense that was Rutgers. And he took advantage of it. I mean, guys were getting more open. He seemed to have a lot more time in the pocket. And he just was making the right decisions. It was the same exact quarterback that we saw from weeks one to four. And I think that just I, – I don't think I've ever so, seen a quarterback play so differently against, like, pretty solid opponents. And then, like, there's a line and then, like, bad opponents. And then he just – you know, there's just such a difference between how he faces different teams in the Big Ten. But uh, props to him. He was able to shake off – it's hard to shake off what Maryland went through in the second half of the season. It's hard to go on the road, no matter what team you're facing, and go capture a, a, a win against a team that's in the same exact situation as you are. So it, it props to Maryland's offense, props to Leah for having a, a solid game for the Terps. And at the end of the day, his performance is what won them the game. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and it is props. And they put together a great game plan. You, they were on the road. Um, I mean, the line was like Maryland – Barely was favored, and I think it even might have flipped by the time of kickoff. Yeah, if I remember that correctly, I think Rutgers ended up at the time kickoff started. I think Rutgers ended up being minus one, right. so they were slightly favored. So you know, I mean, it's it's like that's it's a good win. I mean, none it's a, they got a bowl game because of it. They extend their season. The big thing that everyone talks about is you have another month of practicing and developing players. So yeah, a lot of people went through the transfer portal who are going to leave. But the people who are sticking around, you have an entire another month. And for two weeks, you don't even know who you're going to be playing. So you're literally just working on yourself. You're not scouting anything of just work developing younger players that are going to be a big part of the program. And that's only going to be helpful for them moving forward. So it's not just that they have the opportunity to get to a bowl and it, the significance of that. It really will help the development of the program moving forward. And it's honestly, that's what it seemed like Loxley was more happy about. It seems kind of be like, yeah, we got the bowl game. We accomplished our goal finally. But we get an extra month, an extra, you know, bunch of practices. And every practice, obviously, for a football program is important, especially when you're growing as a young program. So even with the transfers, still definitely great for the program, definitely moving in the right direction because mm -hmm. of getting that six win, because you get the extra months of practice. So I think, when do they announce the, the bowl games? Is that Sunday? I think it's Sunday, yeah, this Sunday. Okay. So – we, maybe, I mean, hopefully yeah. we'll be there, but we're looking quickly in bowl in Detroit. Um, a lot guaranteed, of guaranteed rate in Arizona, right. pinstripe in New York. I mean, those are the top three. And whatever, which one's in Nashville? That's one that the Music City Bowl. Right. Yeah. yeah. That would be a fun one. Music City Bowl. 
Love to go to Nashville. Yeah, I mean, I'd love to go to any of those places, honestly, except Detroit. Except and, Detroit. Uh, <laughs> except Detroit, December. I mean, that would be absolutely brutal. As much as I want to pack, like, four coats, I mean, it is what it is. But And, and who knows? They'll probably end up playing in Detroit. So let's just, about, let's just expect a quick lane bowl, and they'll be going to Detroit. But we do know that they will be getting a bowl game. So uh, we will be there, I think, pretty sure no matter what. I don't who knows who knows we're going to do our best to be there and we were going to provide excellent coverage so a lot going on yeah (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. uh a few more things to talk about from this game Corey Deitches two touchdowns 36 yards he's looking like the tight end of Maryland's future after uh, super senior Chigazin Makako departs what did you see from him and he seems like he's going to be a big factor next year yeah, I forget the exact stat. Yeah, I mean, he had a great game, but I forget the exact stat. It was like last season, they had maybe one or two catches for like 20 yards out of their tight end production. One catch, for, yeah, out of their tight end production, and they had like 69, 79. I forgot the exact number. But it was just remarkably more this year, and that was a large part due to Chig. He had a terrific season, um, especially after some other weapons went down, is becoming Talia becoming more comfortable with Talia and becoming more of a safety blanket. But Corey Deitch also was terrific in this game. And for the, the production that he saw and the snaps that he saw on the field, I mean, he was good. And it's it's only a good sign moving forward that they're going to have another tight end they can rely on. They don't – it's not a position that's just going to become obsolete. Yeah, Deitch just played really well. Chig still had, I think, four catches for 36 yards. Just a lot of production on offense in general for Maryland football in that win. And the 40 points was the, the second most they've scored all season. Obviously, besides that, that Howard game, that feels like a lifetime ago. Man, those games feel like literally years ago. But uh, they, a long possible season. Right, yeah. I can't believe it's almost over. But uh, just looking at the receiving core, Rocket Jarrett led the way with seven catches, 111 yards. Brian Cobbs had his best game of the season for four catches, 86 yards, a touchdown. He had that touchdown early in, in the first quarter, I believe. Um, yeah, we already went over the tight ends. So a lot of production through the air for Tagovailoa. And then on the ground game, Teon Fleet Davis did not want to, that to be his last game. He made that clear after the game. And boy, did he show it. 18 carries, 152 yards, two touchdowns, a long carry of 43 yards. He really excelled. Even Colby McDonald as well, 15 carries for 96 yards. And on the defensive end, they got a turnover. Jacorian Bennett had that interception, I think it was in the second quarter. And team had five total pass breakups. The sacks weren't there. They're, they didn't have none. They literally weren't there. But overall, the defense, the defense got the job done against a, a mediocre Rutgers offense that used three quarterbacks. Yeah, and, and they did get the job done. A little more grim note, though, moving forward with the running backs. Um, I'm not really – like, you saw this game. This offense and Talia's game can open up so much more when they have – um, good ground um, production. So, like when Talia, I mean, excuse me, when Tanfley Davis is running the ball really well, their offensive line is has good run protection. Um, so, I mean, this this offense is only better when the running game is going. But next year, they're they're going to struggle in the ground game because I'm not really sure what they had. Tanfley Davis obviously he's used up his eligibility. He's out the door. Penny Boone, who at one point looked like maybe the second guy at some points this season. He's, he transferred. He's going. Colby McDonald is probably going to be the lead back going to next year. And who knows if he can carry that much production for an entire season. So, I mean, I'm not, I'm not really sure where they're going to get 
production from in the ground game. But when they have that, it really helps to lay in this offense so much more because they are a passing attack offense. But any passing attack is opened up when you have to worry about the running game too. So it'll be an interesting year for Maryland football in 2022. We already mentioned the transfers leaving, and now you got a bunch of guys simply graduating. So it's going to be a very – who knows if they'll take a step forward or a step backward. It's definitely going to be a, a year to keep an eye on during the Mike Loxley era. So we had a pretty good day on the podcast today. We went over Maryland men's basketball. We went over Maryland football clinching its bowl game. And we are definitely going to have a lot more to talk about in the future. Next week, we will go over Maryland men's basketball's game against Virginia Tech and Northwestern. And we will also know what bowl game Maryland is playing. So we will have a very – uh, interesting podcast next week but for now thank you so much for listening and we will be back on the Testudo Times podcast on next Wednesday so we will see you then